Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited today for this special podcast where Dr. Robert Melillo is interviewing me on my book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything. It's out now wherever books are sold, and I hope you have your copy. It's currently number one on Amazon in the school-age children parenting category and number two in the parenting teenagers category, and that's because of all of you. Thank you for your support, and please review it. Those five-star reviews make a huge difference in the algorithm. So today, I want to introduce clinician, brain researcher, and best-selling author, Dr. Robert Melillo, and he's one of the most respected specialists in childhood neurological disorders in America and has been helping children with learning disabilities, autism, ADHD, OCD, dyslexia, and so much more for over 30 years. He's the author of Disconnected Kids, and we interviewed him here on this podcast with that very book, along with several others, including Reconnected Kids, and there's even a TV show based on that. We're flipping the script again, and here is my guest interviewer for How to Talk to Kids About Anything today. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Robert Melillo, and I'm here. And the reason why I'm here, uh, which I don't usually do this, where I'm actually interviewing somebody is because um, I really am excited about this next person's new book that she's just coming out with. Dr. Robin Silverman has been someone I've known with for many, many years. She's done some coaching with me and we've worked together. And she is somebody that I know understands my work intimately and that um, I understand hers. We've had many discussions about everything. And so she just came out with a new book how to talk to your kids about anything. So that's a great title, first of all, but welcome, Robin. I'm glad you're here. I'm thrilled to be here. I love talking with you. Okay, so let's get into it. So we know that behavior is really from the brain, right? So from a neurological standpoint, obviously I, in my books and my work, you know, I talk about the foundations of behavior have to do with the way the brain is built, the way it's developed, Um, and the way it functions, and that ultimately, you know, abnormal behavior in most cases is starts as a neurological issue, right? And I know you're a psychologist, and you have a PhD, you've been trained. So, and I know that you you agree with that as well, right? Absolutely. That we have to look at the brain. Absolutely. We look at the brain and everything that emanates from that, that's ground zero. Yes. So, But there are also, as I tell people, there are some people that have normal developed brains, but have psychological issues, right? That need psychological counseling or therapy. Um, But in either case, when I'm working with parents, you know, my book, Reconnected Kids, we're trying to talk to parents about as the brain is changing, um, how do you handle those changes? And what can you do behaviorally? You know, my wife and I did a a web series TV show, as I just told you, is actually number one on your home TV network. We're up to 2 million views. So exciting. That 
you know, just speaks to the fact that a lot of people are having trouble in their home. That's what, right. What we did in that show was this was a child who was going through one of our centers and we were working with them, but we went into their home. These were two different families, two different seasons. And we needed to work on them on everything. Like we needed to work it on the relationship with the parents. That was a mess. We needed to work on the relationship with the parents and the child. That was a mess. Mm-hmm. We needed to work on their home, which was a mess. We needed to work on diet, nutrition, exercise, yeah. bringing some of the neurological work home. So, you know, this is where I think your book is really needed because I think the reason why our show is number one is because it's resonating in such a big way because people have such a problem. So whether there's a neurological issue or not, Mm -hmm. I think people need tools as to how do you manage the behaviors one way or the other, right? Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with teens, when you're dealing with young adults, um, it's really challenging. And Absolutely. if you're there, you're already too late, right? So why don't you give us a little idea, first of all, introduction of your book, mm-hmm. why you wrote it and what you were hoping to do with this and, and how you got to this point. Mm. Well, thank you so much. I'm very excited. Yes, my book is How to Talk to Kids About Anything. And it's all on tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So it's divided into different tough topics, whether it's how to talk to kids about big feelings, which we all talk about and have to talk about. And I did it as chapter one because it is the beginning and what's going on with the brain and what's going on in the body because we have to start there. And when we look at anxious behavior, depressed behavior, if your child is sad or fearful or whatever, we need to start there. How do we talk to them about that? Not that it's just happening to them, but how do we talk to them about it? And then it goes on to different chapters, whether it's how to talk to kids about sex or death or friendship issues and bullying or even money. There's so many different tough topics that make people cringe. And I wanted to get to all of them. The reason why I wrote this book is because I was the kid in fifth grade who was bullied. It was a horrible year. I will say this, it with it, it was a very heavy year for me in that I compare it to, it's like the worst year of my life and on par with when I had my miscarriages. It was just the worst of the worst. And When I went through that bullying for the year and meaning like I was ostracized, people didn't talk to me. I had a friend who pretended to be my friend only on the weekend and then like pretended she was like, didn't even know me during the week. And I would come home crying and my mom would hand me tissues and not know what to say. And I would go to school and the teacher saw what was going, were going on and didn't know what to do or say. And the aides on the playground when we were, you know, I was kicking rocks on the blacktop and everybody else was up on the stairs whispering and pointing. They didn't say anything. And I got to a point where people either said the wrong thing or didn't say anything at all. And I think it shaped me. I think it stayed with me so much that it it made it so who I am today. What could I do to make it so that other kids weren't in the same situation. And that's not, let me fix the kid. That's, let me 
help the parents, the educators, the coaches, so that they know what to say to help the children who are having a tough time. And instead of passing the buck and saying, somebody else will do it, the school will talk to them about sex. They'll get over the mistakes. Like, I don't need to talk to them about mistakes and failure. I don't need to talk to them about bullying or anxiety, um, or I don't know what to say. You know, I mean, we're all in that same boat as parents where we're like, we know that this might be really important, but we don't know what to say. And that is where it comes in. Everything in my book is providing the scripts, providing how to broach the topic, conversation starters, how to keep it going. And to your point of, well, if your kid's a middle schooler and high schooler, like this is a little late, I would say like start anytime you can. But those people who are listening right now who have younger kids, oh, it's such an enviable position to be in where you can start early and really create the relationship. Because your book, you know, you're talking about disconnected kids and reconnected kids. I think one of the biggest problems we're having right now is that people are feeling disconnected and this book is going to help them reconnect again, just like your book helps to help your help parents and kids reconnect again. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I, I love that. And I, and, you know, there's one chapter you have on origin stories and I love origin stories. I, yeah. That origin story for you was great. Um, you know, meaning that it wasn't great that you went through that, but it was great how you turned it around and used it. And now you're using it to make a difference with people. Yeah. I think that's the purpose of a lot of the challenges that we get. I always tell people there, people will say to me, I don't know my purpose in life. And, and I said, well, you need to look at your life and look at the challenges that you've been given and the ones that you've learned to overcome mm. to be able to turn around and help other people to overcome those that maybe wouldn't come up with the same solution that you came up with. Mm. That's your purpose. If you want to know mm. your purpose, look at your life and really look at your failures, look at your challenges. You know, that's probably where your purpose lies. So you yeah. see, right on your purpose. But, you know, so I want to start getting into really more specific things here. Uh, but I think you're right. You know, a lot of parents, they just don't know what to say and they yeah. don't say the wrong thing. And today, you know, when you see the internet and, you know, obviously Facebook and Instagram and all of the social media, there's so much bad information out there. Mm. I am, it drives me crazy. Yes. When yes. I see like some of these, you know, there'll be some mom from the Upper East Side who happens to be wealthy and attractive. And for some reason, people are, people are listening to her about how you're supposed to raise your children, right? Mm -hmm. and like wrapping kids, like putting them in a, it's like the worst thing you can freaking do, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's doing it now. And, 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 and I don't know where they're getting this information from. Mm -hmm. So it's so good to give them you know, real information from an actual expert, someone who is a mom, somebody who does this for a living. Um, so, you know, let's start off with what do you think the, the number one thing that parents feel most uncomfortable with talking their children about? What do you, would you say is the, the number one problem that you've had to address? Well, I mean, I think what, what tends, tends to get in the way is parents will say, oh, but I'm not I'm not the expert, so how am I supposed to know what to say? And I don't even have a template for this. 
your parents, my parents most likely are not the ones who gave us this information. They didn't talk to us about this. But if parents come to me and they're like, one of the things that they came to me with is, it starts my book off. Is somebody was sitting with me on a park bench and we were talking while the kids were playing on the playground. And she's like, my daughter started talking to me about death today. I, or am I going to die? Are you going to die? I just looked at her and said, who wants ice cream? And just changed the subject entirely, right? That same story has been told to me about puberty, about sex, about porn. These are the, the hot buttons of, I have no idea how to start. I don't want to talk about this with my kids because it doesn't feel like a kid topic. Sex, porn, death, these are not topics that you think of when you think of kids and yet they need to have the information. And to your point about me being a trusted source or you being a trusted source, I want the parent to become the trusted source so yeah. that the kid is not looking to some random person on the internet or yeah. some, or some person in their classroom so that, you know, for the information that you want to be giving them so that when they're in a situation where they see something on the internet or when they're in the situation where somebody approaches them with alcohol or drugs or sex, that it's your voice inside their head that says, wait a minute, we talked about this. Let's go through what we said. That's what you want. That's parenting goals. Yeah. So this is where your work and my work really blend. So, you know, I deal with a lot of people that have ex overactive right hemispheres mm -hmm. and active left hemisphere, uh, people that are dyslexic, learning disabilities, mm -hmm. uh, memory issues. Um, uh, you know, we also see that as bipolar disorder, PTSD. And one of the things that we see in people that have really high right brain um, activity is that the right brain emotions are over exaggerated. One of them is a sense of danger. And so a lot of uh, people, and I learned this actually from my own daughter, that she would say, you know, when I was a kid, dad, I was, I couldn't sleep at night because I was so worried that you would die or mom would die or that someone would break in to our house or something bad. I always had this overwhelming feeling of danger of something bad about to happen. Now, that's a neurological issue. That's a neurological imbalance. And you need to be able to deal with that. And that's where my work says, okay, this is how we change that. But you still need to know, what do I say to somebody when they yeah. say that to me, right? Why are they asking me right. if I'm going to die, right? Well, because their right brain is overactive, but you still need to answer them properly because if you answer them wrong, that's actually the worst thing you can do for somebody that's over, already hypervigilant about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You would want them, someone to talk to someone in that situation. I love the idea of, that you brought up kind of indirectly, which is why are they asking this? Like what's happening? And I love the idea of parents actually being curious and asking their kids, like, what did you see or what happened? You know, what did you hear that made it so you started thinking this way? Because you might be going to something that they're not even thinking about yet. Maybe they watched a movie. Maybe their friend's dog died. Like something happened that made them start to think in this way. 
And when you ask the questions and you can actually answer them with what actually will help them because you'll get to the, the point. It won't be this general amorphous thing. When your kid is young, if you're dealing with a young child right now, this is the time to actually start talking about death. And when you do it, you're not talking about it in this very threatening way. You just start, you're walking along on, and on the sidewalk, there's a dead bug. And you see the dead bug and you say, oh, do you know why that bug is not moving? And your child might say, are they sleeping? Are they doing, you know, and you start to peel off the layers of actually that bug is dead. And what that means is their body is no longer doing anything anymore. They're not eating, they're not sleeping. They feel no pain because that's also another fear, right? And you go towards helping them to even understand what death is. If that feels even too threatening to you, start with the plant. The plant is wilted, then the plant dies. The trees, they lose their leaves. The tree dies. What is happening just to start off that conversation? Then you can build on the next layer. So when your neighbor's dog died, you can say, oh, you know, you know, buddy died today. Remember we talked about the bug. So that's one part of it that you're talking about death in increments. It's not one big conversation. It's a bunch of little conversations along the way that build on your child's age and development. Then when you're dealing with fear on top of it, that's sort of a separate issue. What's really going on here? It may be that they're afraid they're going to be alone. What happens if you die? Oh, I'm afraid that I won't know how to cook my dinner. I'm afraid that I won't know where to go to school. I can't drive. Who's going to take care of me? These are the types of questions that kids are asking about death. Then you can answer, oh, it sounds like you don't know who would take care of you if I died. Do you know that Aunt Jen it is going to be the one who would take care of you if anything happened to me. You would move in with Aunt Jen. Aunt Jen loves you. Now understand, I'm not planning on going anywhere, but we have a whole paper and I will show it to you. And it's called a will. And on it, it has Aunt Jen's name on it. And it says, if anything happens to me, Aunt Jen is the one who gets to take care of you. Then you're answering the question they actually have. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, also, like you said, it's, it's, um, you know, you're, you're really addressing the issues and, you know, like a lot of this falls under the level of anxiety, right? Like yes. parents will come in and say, my child is just so anxious or we hear it now. I mean, there's this overwhelming amount of anxiety everywhere now, which yes. is really, anxiety is not just one thing, right? No. So many different types of anxieties. And I'll say to parents, do you know what, what is their, ang what triggers the anxiety? There you go. What do you mean? Well, is it, are they afraid of something? Is it a social anxiety? Right. You know, some, they're, you know, nervous about school. Um, and they're usually don't know the answer to that, right? They're just, oh, they just say they're anxious or they just mm. anxious. Um, but the other thing you talk about is, you know, it also gives you the opportunity to address that. Like if they say, you know, who's going to cook me dinner? Well, that's a good question. But I'll tell you what, why don't we make it so that you can cook your own dinner? That's beautiful. Love that. Yes. 
And that is actually my wife was incredible with my own boys, especially where she had them cooking at a young age. And, you know, they, by the time they were in middle school, they would come home from a party and first thing they would do is cook themselves some dinner, you know, and they're both great cooks. So those are things that give you the opportunity to address that and say, you know, as opposed to saying, you're going to learn to cook. It's like, well, if you're afraid of who's going to cook for you, let's get you to cook for yourself, right? So teaching, giving them their own skills. Yeah, I love that. And I also would add that, so in one of my chapters, that first chapter that I was talking about, when you're dealing with fear, one of the things that people often pick out when they're like reading my book, they're pre-reading my book is this, this is a fear ladder, okay? And the fear ladder is going to help people understand how to incrementally help their child deal with a fear. So let's say that they're they're afraid of the next door neighbor's dog. Then it's going to break things down. You're not going to get to a point where you're like, you're afraid of the dog. Let's go over there and go pet the dog. Because then you get the actual, you know, that huge anxiety response that we know we've seen many times. I'm sure you see over and over again, where the kid is kicking and screaming and you're like, touch the dog, it's fine, it's fine. And the dog is jumping and like, you know, it's their worst fear come true, right? Like something's happening here. But when you're doing it in a fear ladder, I'll do like 10 different steps. And this is something that psychiatrists will use as well, but you can use where you're just exposing the child to small things like, Let's see a picture of a dog. Let's read a book about a dog. Let's watch a video about a dog. You're doing this over time, extremely slowly. And then they can see the dog from across the street or next door through the fence. Over time, you're exposing, you're exposing until by the end, maybe the goal is to touch the dog. But to touch the dog, you got to do all the other things first. If you think about it, that's typically how we all acclimate to tough situations, but the anxiety situation or this fear situation is heightened, as you know, because you've studied the brain. Right. And that's, you know, again, that's a conversation I have a lot because, you know, most of us as parents, we don't want our kids to be afraid of anything, but mm-hmm. fear is a natural stage of development. They have to go do the, you know, fear of the dark, fear of being alone, fear of strangers, fear of imaginary, you know, monsters. This is part of their development of their brain and they need to go through that. Um, But again, we may see exaggerated versions of that or it may happen later than typical. But either way, then how to deal with that fear appropriately or, or you know how to be able to do behavioral interventions that can help them so that they can get to the next stage of fear and then ultimately you know not be afraid all the time uh fear is a necessary thing we have to be afraid sometimes i mean it's it's obviously protective right and we need to talk to our kids about this This is part of the brain and it's a wonderful part of the brain because it keeps us safe. But sometimes, and this I talk about in the book, sometimes the brain sends out a false alarm and it says, 
you're in danger. There's a bear. And that's from a very long time ago when that was really important to be scared of bears. But actually now it's a little overactive. And to wait, the way to calm down that false alarm is to go slowly through and expose ourselves and to take deep breaths and understand how to calm the brain. Right now, this is not your fault. This is happening because the brain is made to keep you keep you safe. We gotta keep your body safe. Is there a rock falling from the sky? We need to be safe, look out. But is there really a rock falling from the sky? No, not right now. So how do we tell the brain that we're okay? We can say, I'm okay. We can take deep breaths. We can run around the block because that, that sometimes helps kids, as you know, doing physical things. What helps your particular child? And if you can brainstorm with your child, when do you feel the most calm? Is it when you swaddle yourself with a blanket? Is it when you're in your little tent over there reading? Is it when you're petting your dog? What is it for you? Is it when you're doing exercise or drumming on your drum? All of these things can help different people and not all things will help the same people. So what works for you as a parent may not work for your child. That's part of the discovery. And you can create a box, a calm box or a mad box if they get angry often, where you can put things in that box. And when you start to feel yourself getting fearful, you feel yourself starting to get angry before you go straight up the mountain and woo, we're off to, we're off to the races. We catch it before it gets too bad. Now you're in control. Look at what you've been able to do. You're able to calm yourself. You are in control. You can do these mantras. And that you're putting your child in the driver's seat and that can feel really good for them. Um, one of the things that in, again, my book, Reconnected Kids and in our show that we really addressed a lot, uh, Disconnected Kids, Reconnected Families was the need for both parents to be on the same page mm. because like, again, if, if I'm, let's say a mom is reading this book and the dad doesn't, yeah. and the mom does all the right things. And then the dad doesn't or vice versa. Mm -hmm. Then. So I, you know, first and foremost, it's important for both parents to read this. So they're on the same page and they discuss it. How do you tell parents to handle that when they're when they're clearly not on the same page with things? I bet you you deal with this a lot. That is coming from experience right there, uh, because you know you you want so much for the child to get at all the buy-in possible, and it's almost it's just it's not possible to do that when you have one person that's kind of sabotaging the situation. Maybe not meaning to, of course. But you've got one parent who's talking to the kid and then you've got another parent who's like, I'm going to give you something to cry about. That's going to be a, a very different conversation. So I would say my book is since it's broken up into such small nuggets and you do this, too, in your book where it's not like a brick. You have to read it all at the same time then you can read small sections. And here's what I would say to the, the parent who is the one who's kind of leading the charge. When you read the book and you see a section that you're like, this is it, like this is what I was talking about, whether it's about neurodiversity or it's about sex or it's about porn or whatever it is, and you circle it and star the page, 
you're giving your, your, your spouse, your partner, the tiny section that you really need them to read. Can you read these three pages? Because that's going to be a doable thing. And then can we have this conversation? Because there's something that I heard today. Uh, Dr. Robin and Dr. Melillo were talking about this. It was so important to me that I would love for you to read these three pages and for us to just go out to dinner and have this conversation. Or if there's somebody who's not going to be reading as much, maybe they're watching this and this is going to be the way in. Remind yourself that sometimes you need to go through the, their door in order to bring them through yours. So what does work for them? Is it a visual? Is it the book? Is it telling a story? I, I learned about this really interesting thing that happened. Did you know that Oprah Winfrey was fired from her first job as a journalist uh, and, and then finally was able to achieve this great success? It's amazing to me how many people failed before they succeeded. Some people learn from stories. Then you start with start there and you go, you know, our child's been having a lot of trouble with failure lately. There's your in, or there's a statistic that you've heard. Uh, did you know that most kids who go into seventh grade with their friend group actually change their friend group completely by the age of, tw by 12th grade. I was really worried about my son, my daughter, because they lost all their friends, but now I'm feeling better about it. What do you think? So what it speaks to your, the other parents, statistics, stories, reading, videos, there's a way in there. And sometimes it may not be your way, but it just brings them in so that you can get on the same page. Yeah. I think, you know, again, that's such people just assume that they're automatically going to be on the same page mm -hmm. unless they have the conversations. And when they're not on the same page, that automatically creates anxiety in the household, right? Yeah. I always say, as soon as we get both parents on the same page, probably 50% of the behavioral issues will disappear mm -hmm. from that alone. Um, but they have to be able to sit down. And again, it's how you approach it, right? If uh, a wife comes and says, you know, you got to read this book because you're doing everything wrong, right? Ah, that's, that's not going to go well. Not the best way to do it, but um, or vice versa, you know? So anyway, it's really good. So um, again, you have so many good things here um, about really the key things that parents are really concerned with and really so talking about in this day and age, one of the biggest dangers I think there is, 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 is pornography, mm. you know, really early exposure and how it skews relationships and what you perceive as I know so many young uh, males that are addicted to porn um, and it just completely blows up their relationship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in so many ways. And it starts at a young age. I remember, you know, at a young age, one of the times we came home and, you know, my son had, had a bunch of kids over and this was the first time, you know, we turn on a computer and boom, there we go. Right. Yeah. Where So now we're like, all right, the realities are they're, they're maybe 10 years old, but they can go online and mm -hmm. they can go on their phone and they can access all of this stuff. And it completely damages the way that they're going to have a relationship, what they think is normal. And so there's a big conversation now. And I think a lot of parents just avoid it because it's so uncomfortable. But yeah. what, do you, what do you tell them to do? What's the right thing to do with that? 
I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there that it is so awkward and uncomfortable for people. I'll say as a parent of a 13-year-old and a 14-year-old right now, uh, it's it's one of the conversations that I, I have to say like, oh, that was like not like my favorite thing to approach. But I will say that it's a lot of pre-worry. We pre-worry about these conversations and often they're not nearly as bad as we think they're going to be. So first I'll say that. Second, sometimes you just need to rip off the Band-Aid. So I came with a statistic. <laughs> I was serving up the chicken Parmesan on my table and I was like, and here we go. I sat down serving up that chicken Parmesan with a side of, hey, did you know that a study just came out that said that kids by the age of 11 often have seen porn? Have you? If I could just throw those words out, there's no getting them back in, right? So here we go. My kids, <laughs> my kids are used to this with me, but it it's still, it's like an uncomfortable conversation. My son actually at the time said to me, you know what? I was Googling something, something popped up and I X'd out of it right away, but I didn't tell you because I was so afraid I was going to get in trouble. My daughter said, oh my gosh, can we not talk about this? And then she said, but actually I was sitting with one of my friends. We were on the computer, something popped up. We slammed the computer down and we didn't touch it for the remainder of the day. And I didn't tell you about it because I thought you'd be really mad. So here's the thing, that's parenting gold. When, when your children say something that will stoke your value so dead on, that's the moment to say, first of all, thank you so much for telling me because that's really brave of you to come up and tell me, especially when you think you're gonna be in trouble. Second, I want you to know that you will never get in trouble for with me for telling me the truth about something that happened, especially when it's something that you didn't even know what was going on, you didn't intend for it to happen, and you tried to get out of it right away. But if this happens again, I want you to come to me or to dad and tell, tell us what happened so that we can make sure that your computer is completely safe, and here's why. And then you tell them the things you were just saying. These kinds of exposures can really impact the brain. It can make you want to engage in these types of behaviors and you don't even know why. It can make you feel ashamed. It can ruin your relationships. It actually changes the way that you perceive what sex and what love and what romance and what relationships are supposed to look at. So we'll just tell you, mom and dad feel that we do not want you watching it, okay? And there, and here are the reasons why. And if you want to read it yourself, I'm gonna, I, I'll show it to you of why you shouldn't be doing it. And if you have questions about it, I want you to talk to me about it or talk to Dad about it. This is the time when you get the information out, and then you ask questions like, "What do you want to know? Is there anything you're worried about?" And they ask me, "What should we do in that situation if something comes up? Did what? Did I do the right thing? You absolutely did the right thing. You exed out of it." You close the computer, but next I'd love you for to, to come and talk to us about it because you will never be in trouble for telling us what's going on. Right. And I think, you know, it's important for parents to be really aware of what controls they do have mm -hmm. and really do those and, or, and, you know, um, I remember my wife and I did a, a show years ago and we spoke to this one, uh, one guy on our show and he said that, you know, he had a rule that if they ever 
cleared their history on their computers that they would lose their computer for a week, right? Mm. Um, you know, because, you know, they needed to know, first of all, I can look at your computer or your phone at any given at time. At any time. Mm-hmm. And that the whole privacy thing, right? Yes, no, yes and no, right? You know, finding that balance of respecting privacy, but yet not, right? Um, and being on top of it, which is good parenting, I think. And he said that... Um, you know, so he went and he checked his daughter's computer and her history had been cleared. And he, he said, all right, you know what happens? You lose your computer. And he had a, a, a another woman who was one of this girl's friends and it was a mother. And she called him up and said, basically accused him of child abuse because she said, you restricting your daughter from the use of her computer for a week is just makes her really ostracized. She can't mm-hmm her friends and it's really mean and you know i mean so that's the thing you know you have to have a certain level of intestinal fortitude and values to be able to say this is what we do in this house right and i don't care what everybody anybody else is saying or thinking but that's a common thing you know like obviously the kid will say well you know johnny's mommy lets him do this or dad's Mm -hmm dad you know somebody's dad shows him porn right so how do you deal with that that thing that okay well my friend can do it and i can't you know that's a really good point i mean obviously i'm a mother i hear that too i'm a child development specialist i hear that as well and i I, first of all i'll say you know i applaud the idea of somebody saying here's what's going to happen when this other behavior happens. I want you to be very upfront about it. I don't want parents sneaking around. I don't want them to be like, I'm on the slide, checking somebody's phone, checking somebody's history, you know, going into your diary, essentially. I want them to be upfront about it. And I very much was like, I gave my child a phone. They had a starter phone for a year. Then they moved on to a smartphone. My, My daughter is 14 now and has a smartphone. And I said to her, I can check this at any time. And I want you to know that upfront. I don't. I don't want you to think I'm being sneaky about it. But if there's any time when I'm feeling like something's not quite right and I'm not sure what it is, I might check your phone. And there have been times when I have checked it, and yes, there was something wrong, and I needed to know about it. And I was able to talk to her about it, and she wasn't mad at me for checking her phone because she already knew in advance. When, when kids have a real privacy issue is when we're sneaking around and trying to kind of like do it on the sly. So any parent out there that, that is in this situation, just be upfront about it and tell your kids it's about safety and about making sure that they're making the right choices for themselves. All families are going to be, you know, in a situation where they're, they might feel like they have to keep up with the Joneses. This one's doing this, this one's doing that, and you need to rise to whatever other people are saying you have to do. But you have to, at the end of the day, it's going to start and end with you. So what feels right to you? What are the values you want to be putting forth? Once people are thinking about you, have you been consistent? That's what you're doing in your house. And so when you're talking to somebody else and they say, well, this is what we do in your house. And you say, I will never question what you're doing in your own house because clearly you know your children best. And I know my children best. And this is what works for us. 
Now, of course, we don't want to be hurting our children. We're not abusing our children in any way. These are just different ways of looking at how to solve a problem. And not everybody's going to agree with you, but I bet you that you're going to have people who do. And you might not hear from them because people tend to complain to you more than they're going to tell you you're doing a great job. So I think the biggest question that I see with parents, and I know even myself as a parent, um, in one of the shows that we worked with, um, there was a real discipline problem because the mom, because the child was um, disabled when they were younger and they had a lot of issues, the mother was, you know, overprotective. Mm. And then the father came from a background where, you know, if you did something wrong, you got a smack, right? And you just, you know, that was the way he was raised, you know, and he was like, that's it. You did something wrong and, you know, you got hit. Um, obviously, you're dealing with two extreme versions. Yeah. But what do you think is the right version? I mean, obviously, kids um, will lie. They will tell you things like, again, they may do something. They may have something on their phone. They're going to do things or may say things even to you that may be really, you know, mean or insulting or whatever. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they're going to do things that are that are not good. How do you believe that kids should be disciplined? I mean, it's a terrific question. First of all, I would say that kids need to be disciplined typically in different ways. Uh, based on who they are as people. You're not going to even discipline kids the same way in your own household. And I see you, you know, nodding your head. Yeah, because kids need different things. So the research does say that when we hit children, it does backfire. It is not the, uh, the best way to discipline children, even though it was the template for how our parents may have disciplined us. Yes, it stopped the behavior. I can hear the audience saying, wait a second though, it stopped the behavior. Yes, it did because it provided a fear-based response and your child may not be doing it in front of you. But it did also create sneaky children. If you think about what you did as a child, you may not have told your parents that you snuck out. You may not have told your your, your parents that you drank, you smoked, you, you had sex. You, they, you might not have shared this with them, but you did do things. You were not the perfect angel, you and I know. So let's just first have an honesty moment for ourselves and realize that yes, it may have stopped the behavior in front of your parent, but maybe not behind closed doors. Second, it creates a disconnection between the parent and the child. What we want is connection. We want understanding. We want the child to come to us. On the same token, yeah, we want the child to stop doing ugly behaviors. We don't want them lying. We don't want them cheating. We want them to understand why that's wrong. We want them to suffer the natural consequences that teach them not to do those behaviors. And when they abuse the computer privilege, then they can't have the computer privilege. Absolutely. I bet you that made a big impact on that person. Would it have made as much of it, uh, an impact if the father had chosen to smack the child? I don't think so. That doesn't make sense. Those two things don't connect. So we do want more natural consequences for behaviors if they if if they happen. You can't be like, all right, well, my child doesn't brush their teeth. Eventually their teeth are going to fall out. 
okay, that's a natural consequence, but that's too long. So in those types of cases where you need your child's cooperation, then we need to be able to give the, the information to the child so that they get on board. We brainstorm with the child so that they get on board. We um, help them to understand the, the playful act of when you brush your teeth, then we can do something fun together. Okay, when you do this, then we can go ahead and read the book. We can watch the show so that they can see, no, this is not a, a natural consequence situation. This is a cause and effect. Mm -hmm. So you have to use different ways to get to the end behavior. I mean, perhaps you have a child who responds really negative to, to, you, to you yelling. Then you yelling in that situation is going to just scare the child and you're going to get that kids concurring, which it completely backfire on you. So know your child, understand your child's temperament, and then let's go with what works for that particular child. Just because you were smacked doesn't mean that that's the way to right. discipline your child. Yes. And on the other hand, it's like some kids need to be yelled at. Hmm. You know, sometimes you need to raise your voice in a certain way or voice. especially with a, a young male, maybe, um, who might be, you know, really need that type of intervention. Other people may not. So like you said, it, it really needs to be tailored. Um, yes. It's the emergency break. That's what I tell people I like that. If you yell at a child, it may be the emergency break that you need to put on. They're about to run into traffic. They're doing this behavior that's dangerous, unsafe, horrible in some way to somebody else. That's the emergency break you're you're pulling, but if you do it every time, it's going to lose its its potency. Right. Yeah. And you know, again, a lot of this, and I think a lot of what I think is really good about this book is that, you know, when you get to the point where your child does something, um, you know, negative or something really, you know, egregious, or if they, you know, if you have to yell, it's really what you did beforehand leading up to that. Mm -hmm will minimize it. And maybe, maybe it won't happen if you did a lot of these steps beforehand. So we only have about two minutes because uh, I have to go and this is great. And obviously time just flies when I'm talking to you. Um, I really recommend people look into this book because again, I, I'm going to be recommending it to a lot of my parents because this is questions they ask me. And I'm, and I, even though, you know, I'm, my book is coming from the neuro perspective and I'm also giving them some, cause I have a, a psychology background as well, but this is really in detail and this is really good. And this is also for kids that don't have a disability or right. something like that. So in closing, what would you, what would be something that you would really want people to think about and really take away from this? Um, as kind of the last thing and then tell people also, you know, how they can get this book and get in touch with you. All right. Awesome. First of all, I'll say you're quoted in the book and that's really important because you have great information and I love your books and I recommend them as well. Thank Second, you. I would say, let's get talking. You do not need to be perfect. You do not need to know all the answers. You do not need to map everything out to get started with this. Just start, just begin, tell the story, give the stat, tell, tell somebody you listen to this podcast, you know, this, this interview and 
get started with the conversations because you're doing yourself a favor. When you start early, you build up the trust your child has in you so that they will come to you not just when the stakes are low, but when the stakes are high. So that's my tip for all of you. And second, here's my book, How to Talk to Kids About Anything. You can get it anywhere books are sold and you can go to drrobinsilverman.com. That's Robin with a Y, uh, drrobinsilverman.com. And you can get all the pre-order bonuses, which are plentiful, um, and just download those once you've once you have the book. I'd be thrilled to meet you and uh, hear all of the things you have to say about the book and answer any of your questions. So thank you. Yeah, that's great. I think you know, really, you have to really deal with this because if you don't talk to your kids about this, somebody else will. That's right. And don't I? I you know, and I would not trust what what they may may hear. And I think that for the most part, teachers, coaches, you know, faith people are, are good people. But, you know, you don't necessarily want to rely and trust that somebody else is going to give your kid the best advice and they may give them horrific advice. Mm. Um, so you, if you don't do it, somebody else will. Yeah. So, you know, whether you feel comfortable or not, you know, if you're a parent, you, you need to do it. And the good thing is most people just, just don't know what to say or how to approach it. And you've given them the tools. So thank you. Thank you for spending the time with me. Thank and you. I look forward to speaking to you again. Good luck and congratulations on your book. Um, I really enjoyed what I've read so far. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm going to go and can continue to read. Um, and I really suggest everybody get a hold of it and read it for themselves. Okay. Thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Robin. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page on Facebook or on Instagram or on X or even on my website where the show notes to this podcast will be. And I am so excited to see all the photos you've been posting with you holding my book. That's amazing. And thank you for those five-star reviews on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books A Million and all the other wonderful indie stores that you have been posting on. This has been such a wonderful week. Please keep sharing. Many people are giving my book as teacher gifts, coach gifts, new parenting gifts. And I just think that's awesome. And if you have a group of 50 or more who are buying How to Talk to Kids About Anything for a book group, let me know. And maybe I can send the person in charge some signed book plates that you can put on your book. You are all the reason why I did this. And I'm so happy you are reading what I've been working on all this time. Please let me know what you think. In the meantime, remember, parenting provides the ultimate do-overs. There's often a time when you can try again. I see you and I'm right there with you. And though sometimes we doubt our know-how and our sweet, sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, keep connecting through conversation. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.